are you prepping for a show at the Opry tomorrow? Yeah, yeah, we play tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. and by my count, is that 57? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, crazy. That's insane. And I tried to look it up and find who has played the most, but I couldn't find it. Do you know, is that, is, does anyone know that? I don't know who's played the most. I know Mark Wills played it like 200 and something times before he became a member. And then like Jansen, Chris Jansen played it like a hundred and something before he became a member. So there's probably, there's definitely more, more than me, but we all, you know, I mean, every time you play it, it's like the first, you know, it's a, just pretty surreal to think that, you know, we, I remember April 24th, 2015 was my debut and yeah. you know, played it this many times since then. And, uh, I think tomorrow's the first show back with full crowd. Right. Yeah, I think tomorrow. So, which is cool because I've technically, I played like every version of the Opry during quarantine. We played, I played it when there was, we were on a bar stool and there was nobody in the crowd. Played it to where it was acoustic. The band wasn't even there. I played it right before they shut down or, you know, shut or stopped having everybody there. And then, I've played it, you know, a few times with uh, limited capacity. And right. so now we're playing the first day back. So it's been, you know, weird times, but it's been kind of cool being able to, you know, be a part of all those moments. Yeah. And let's go back to April 24th, 2015. And I know you've talked about it a lot and stepping in that circle with your dad and your uncle and the fact that you had always known when you played the Opry for the first time, you didn't want to step in that circle without them for the first time. And so just talk about the emotion behind that. Cause like I say, you've talked about it on social media, but I want to really know like the emotions that were running through you at that time. Yeah, man. You know, we uh, had a family band or they did, you know, when I was a kid before I was born and, and so I was probably early elementary age and, uh, it was my dad, my uncle, my grandfather, and my cut and you know cousins, of, you know that generation of our family. And right. My uncle, my dad was a lead singer. My uncle played bass, and and uh, and my grandfather, you know, he was the one that taught all of us music. He was the one that taught us all about country music, and and was the one that was putting guitars in everybody's hands, and you know making everybody you know learn harmony and and uh, and and sing. And and after the family band kind of, <clears throat> kind of split, you know, he kept playing like four nights a week. At, you know, anywhere, whether it be an American Legion or a Moose Lodge or a community center or whatever, you know, he was, he was four nights a week, he was playing. And so, uh, you know, the, the, the conversation was always when we're all, you know, if I don't know how we get there from Eustis, Florida, but when we get there, you know, we're all gonna, we're all gonna do it together. And he unfortunately passed two months before, uh, we played, uh, got, got the debut on the Opry. Did he know, did you know before he passed that you were going to be no. playing the Opry? No, man, no, he didn't, you know, he uh, didn't, he got to hear my songs on the radio and, you know, and, and all that, but uh, it was literally, I, I'll never forget it, man. He passed on February 4th, 2015. And I got an email backstage of the, at the Barclays Center, like in March from West wow. Boston, one of my publicists. And he said, hey man, pick your opera date. And it was such a weird, it's like a bittersweet moment. You know, it was like, we did it, but damn it, you know, like he was the one that taught us all about it. He was the one that I was watching the, he was the one teaching me about Minnie Pearl and Grandpa Jones and String Bean and M Marty Stewart and, you know, uh, uh, Porter Wagner and, you know, list goes on, Jeannie Seeley and, and showing us the importance of, 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 of what the Opry was, you know, and right. it, um, 
so it was like this weird thing i was like we we almost had it you know and, and but then like holy shit, i get to play the opera you know like one like so it, was, it was that moment and so i i picked april 24th because it was the closest to his birthday his birthday was it was uh, april 27th and oh, okay. so I picked that date and I just, I didn't want to step in it without my dad and my uncle stepping in first because, you know, I, through the years of me learning guitar and, and, and going to gigs and, you know, vocal lessons and all the stuff, you know, they were there and helping me, you know, and, and they were just as influential as my grandpa was. So I told them, I said, I'm not stepping in the circle until me, my dad, and my uncle can step in it, you know, together. Like we all, we all got here, you know, and, and, uh, and so we did, and it was. I still got the photo, and you know, we lost my uncle last year uh, unexpectedly, and so uh, it's even more. You know, it means even more now. And and the Opry being such a family, and and you know, so family oriented, they were very kind and let me you know do that, and and, and honor my grandfather on the first uh, on my debut. So uh, it was a always. It's a moment for every artist that you'll never forget. But but for me, it went it went even further than just being able to debut on the Opry. I don't know how religious you are, but I know you believe in signs and I know you believe your mm -hmm. grandpa's looking down on you and you were able to play his Gibson during your first song yeah. at the Opry. And so what did that mean? And throughout that first performance, were there any little signs that you were like, oh yeah, yeah, he's here. Man. So one of the signs I always, I always feel like I get um, is my, my grandmother's nickname was, was Penny. And, um, Ever since he passed, I'll see pennies. I'll find them randomly uh, in, in weird places uh, when there's moments, you know, that kind of as a reminder. Right. I play the Opry 57 times coming up Friday, and I have 56 pennies because there's one every time I find, I find one randomly. It might be like I, one time I was playing the Ryman, and I was about to go on, and it was I was sitting in Monitor World, uh, which is where the Monitor guy is for anybody listening and watching. Uh, right. side stage and so i was standing there about to go on i not found one that day you know so i was like oh you know and i don't go looking you know it's just it was just there right so i was seeing a side stage and, and anybody that's ever said side stage anywhere it's dark you know right there and so i just happened to look over and there was these cables wrapped up beside the monitor world and there was i looked down and a penny was barely sticking out from underneath one of the cables right before i walked on and my dad found one uh a couple times when he came up so those are my signs. I feel like I got, I ended up getting a penny tattooed right here underneath, underneath my, my arm uh, for my grandmother. And it's actually my drum head uh, on my kick drum. Uh, oh, nice. Penny for, for her. So, um, and so I, I think those signs, man, I, you know, I, I believe in God and, and I'm, you know, uh, I, I believe that whenever people pass on, I do think that they, they still have communication, you know, and in yeah. some way to perform. And, and I think I was thinking and like to believe that, you know, that's him with me and, uh, when I debuted, my first song I did was Green Green Grass at Home, uh, but Porter Wagner's version of it. And that was, you know, I grew up on that song, grew up playing that song, my famous band. And in a way, I felt like that was him making his debut with me, you know, because it was always like, when I play there, you're going to play there with, you know. And, uh, you know, life had a different, you know, different set of cards it was dealing with. So he wasn't able to be there, but... I felt like because the Opry allowed me to do that and, and allowed me to speak about it and, and, and do so much in his honor. My grandmother was there. She, she got to be there. Right. Um, you know, that, that Gibson made its debut and, and that Gibson 335 and every photo I have of him, that's the, yeah, that's the guitar he played for 60 years. And so, 
in a way, I felt like he was making it with me, even though he couldn't be there. You know, physically, I knew that he was there spiritually. And then that guitar that played every Moose Lodge in the state of Florida, you know, that every community center, every four nights a week when my dad and everybody would give him crap because he'd be, you know, he was a, he worked for the telephone company and he was a firefighter uh, in the day. And then he would he would work or he would work five days a week, six days a week, and then still play four nights a week for free. Like there wasn't a pay, there wasn't nothing. He'd be like, well, they're feeding us, you know? But we're like, well, you're playing an assisted living home, so the food's not that good. You know, it's like, <laughs> they're giving you good quality food here, but that was just his passion for country music. That's what he, you know, he loved. It. And so uh, for me in that moment, you know, it was very special, obviously for obvious reasons, but even more so being able to hold that guitar that I, I grew up watching him play as a kid. We played, you know, he played it at every show we played together. And then you got to stand in the circle and play a song that we all played together as a band, you know, back in the day was, was pretty, pretty, it was emotional, man. I'll never forget looking over Well, I finished the song, of course, emotional, look over and it's my dad, my uncle and my grandmother was in her wheelchair and Ricky Skaggs standing right beside her. <laughs> you know, and I was just, I remember standing there and was like, how did we get, what in the world's going on? You know, like, how did this, how did we get here? I just like one of those moments of, uh, you know, very surreal you know, pinch me moment. And that's an awesome segue because how did we get here on this podcast? It's called the music made me. I love to take that journey. I love to find out how music has made a person. And we've already dug into it a lot. You talking about your younger years already. Um, and one of the cool things is that I was watching your new video for picture and I was looking at the little description and there was a line in there that said music made him. Mm -hmm. referring to you and I thought that was cool because that's exactly what this podcast is about and so let's talk about your younger years when you were like two or three you're on stage with the uh cousin country band rocking out your little Kermit the Frog guitar <laughs> what is what is your first memory that like vivid memory not necessarily just from a photo or from people talking about it but your first vivid memory of those times man I there's a video of it somewhere but I also I, I have a vague memory of being a kid and singing killing time by clint black as a baby you know or, or you know small child uh while they while they did uh their sound check and and my grand my dad was always a big clint black fan and, and as am i and, and so he uh that that song i think came out like a couple of years before you know or a few years before that and and so there there's a video somewhere but i i vaguely remember being out there uh and, and and doing that you know singing that with with that little fake guitar my mom i think my mom still has it. my mom has everything i've ever done in my life oh so, really <laughs> oh yeah yeah my mom still has everything uh everything that if you want to i think my first pair of boots she has my everything you know so, so your your typical you know mom who, who's saving everything and you're thankful later on in life you know so i think she still got it but i remember that and you know one thing that i i remember is my grandfather always like with my family's very, I have a big family, but everybody's really close. And we right. all grew up uh, kind of on the same, not the same piece, piece of land, but kind of, right? We're all right there. And so my, my bus stop, you know, was my dad's bus stop when he was a kid. It was right outside of my great grandmother's little tiny yellow block house, you know, that, that she had. And uh, for some reason, that's where we picked to always do gatherings, right? The tiniest right. house of everybody. That's where <laughs> we wanted to fit 80 people, you know, because 
great grandma's going to fix her biscuits and fried chicken and you know all this stuff and everybody's going to get together and 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 grandpa's going to bring guitars and full speakers and microphones and <laughs> the entire thing <laughs> and so we would sit out front and play and her house was one of the few houses of our families that was by the road and so we would play and people would pull off the side of the road and just listen oh really hang for a little while or drive off you know hang for a little <laughs> bit and then drive you know go on or sometimes they'd get out and and I, I just remember those days of us, you know, all getting together and, and we always joke because somebody in the family would be like, y'all going to pick, y'all going to sing, you know, and my grandpa would be like, oh, I guess so. And grandpa acting like we didn't know he just brought the entire sound system to play an arena. You know what I mean? Like, he'd be like, well, let me see what I got. And he's pulling out TV speakers. And I'm like, Dude, we knew you had this. But but those those moments are, are you know, special, especially now, you know, we've, we've lost, you know, quite a bit of them. And, and uh, but I think those were, you know, probably my earliest memories of, of, of that era of, of my life. And was it nine when you started playing the guitar? Yeah, eight or nine. Yeah, my parents divorced when I was eight. And I, uh, I you know, I, I was going to North Carolina with my grandma, my grandpa, my uncle Kenny, and my aunt Linda, my grand, one of my grandpa's brothers owns land up there. Oh, okay. So we were going up there and, and it was during that weird time, you know, anybody that's gone through a divorce as a child, you know, you're, you're trying to put it all together. It's, you know, strange. And, and uh, my dad was going through it. He was going through and my mom, you know, going through, she was going through. So I went, I think my grandparents wanted to just get me out, you know, so, so I went <laughs> with them. And I, like I said, you know, they were always playing. They were always, somebody was always playing guitar. Someone was always doing some, something with music. There was always something going on. And, uh, I remember going, man, I want to learn how to play. Like I want to actually learn. I don't want to be just a kid, you know, playing the Kermit frog guitar. I want to actually do it. Yeah. And so My grandpa taught me my first three chords and, uh, and then it was just, after that, I, you know, we were there for like six, seven days. And I remember on this old Epiphone that he had this strength, the action was like that far off, you know, from the neck, <laughs> the that far off the neck. And uh, I, I just remember, you know, play, you know, trying to learn how to, you know, put your fingers on the cords and the strings or make the cords on the strings. And, and uh, it just became like, I, you know, I hear it say it all the time, but it was like a drug, you know, and then the fact that at my grandfather, was still playing all the time you know i wanted to i wanted to play in his band you know i wanted to learn i wanted to impress him i wanted to beat him you know i wanted to i wanted to you know to to make him go oh man that's cool and and so it just became this this thing in an outlet you know and i think my grandfather knew that uh during yeah. that time i think he knew that i needed that outlet because it's such a pivotal moment in a lot of kids lives you know a a, a divorce and and you know i go lie it wasn't a <laughs> there was no smooth walking away it wasn't it wasn't an easy one you know right so, so it was, it, it was, it was a hard time there for a little while. And it just, you know, music literally probably, you know, pointed me to a different path than what I could have taken, you know, uh, right during that time. And, and it was all because my grandfather, you know, through that old epiphone <laughs> that, that was probably 50 years old, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, and had me start learning guitar. So. And how long did it take you to start playing with him in his band? dude when i started learning it was literally all i did like oh, yeah? every day i was trying to figure out how to get gc and d faster you know <laughs> how do i not just you know put your finger on every you know every string how do i do that and there's this old song so bluegrass song called this <laughs> is it's so country but boil them cabbage down is the name of the bluegrass song. And, <laughs> nice. and, and, and it's and it's a, obviously a, well, a, a higher tempo but you can slow it down and it's helps you G, C, and D. 
you know, so you don't have to play it that fast, but then you work your way up to it. Right. So that was like my goal. And I just, I was determined. And then once I got that down to where I could play it, I, uh, I ended up learning today. I started loving you again was one of my first songs that I, that I learned because Merle Haggard was so influential um, in my family's band. Yeah. My grandfather, big fan, my, my dad, that was who like, you know, when I was learning how to sing, they're like, listen to Haggard, you know, here, here, how he, sings, here how he says it. And, and so I, I learned that for two reasons. One, I was brought up on that, you know, that, that era of country music. Right. So I wasn't really listening to like what my friends were listening to because that wasn't what my family listened to, you know, and like yeah. I was brought up on Merle Haggard, Porter Wagner, Ray Price, Bobby Bear, you know, Waylon, Willie, you know, that whole generation. And of course I'm a nineties kid, but at that time when you're, you know, eight, nine years old, that's really just what you're, what you're listening to. Yeah. And so it was a combination of wanting to impress them, but also that I love today. I started loving you again. I love bringing grass at home, you know? So my first song, it was probably, man, it was probably like a few months, probably like five months before I got uh, today. I started loving you again, kind of down. I wouldn't say it was great by any means, but I, I could do it. <laughs> And then, so throughout school, you were playing with him, you were honing your skills. And then after graduation, were you focused on getting to Nashville? Like, is that the first time that you traveled to Nashville to sort of get a feeling for it before you started your band? We, I went to Nashville one time. Well, no, I'm sorry. Before I moved, I went a few times. My first trip to Nashville was, I was 15. Oh, okay. My dad and my stepmom brought me up and we um, walked the streets, walked downtown, you know, the whole deal. And, and I, a couple of publishers, you know, talked to me and gave me some advice, you know, and we did all <laughs> that. Um, so that was my that was my first trip in. Um, but I, I, I was going back and forth quite a bit doing demos. Uh, my buddy Jeff Hurst got me. Uh, I met a guy. I met him back home in Florida and I was already playing shows at this point. Oh, OK. Um, and, and I was playing the Lake County Fair. And I didn't know that my people were telling him about me and my mom was telling or him about me. And then my mom was telling me about him, you know, <laughs> and, and where, I, you know, where I'm from, there's not a lot of music coming out. You know, I mean, there's a lot of talent there. You know, I grew up watching, you know, guys that you know played the circuit, but, but there wasn't, there wasn't, I, I didn't feel like, or I didn't know at the time, I guess, uh, somebody trying to do what I was doing, like wanting to move to Nashville and, and actually give this like a shot, you know? Right. So I met Jeff Hurst. Uh, he happened to be walking by my show at the fairgrounds, right? Oh, That's really? the thing I was doing. And he told a buddy of ours, he was like, Hey man, I saw that. I saw this, you know, Michael Ray guy. And he's like, that's who we've been telling you about. And then, so then we ended up meeting and, uh, and writing songs. And I started coming back and forth up here, um, doing demos and learning, you know, studio work. And it was all, you know, all because of him. So uh, he got me in the door that way. And, and But I knew, man, I knew, I knew in middle school that I wanted to move to Nashville, you know, and, and I knew, especially after that first trip, you know, you come up and you see the Batman building for the first time, the AT&T building, and you're just like, <laughs> uh, I knew then that I wanted to move here someday and, 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 and make it a thing. So I uh, moved when I was 22, finally got to move when I was, when I was 22 years old, uh, up oh, okay. here. and, uh, and I, I never forget my graduation, man. They had, uh, he, everybody was going to college or doing something. And then my, and they're like, they're like Michael Roach moving to Nashville. That was, <laughs> that, that, that. 
So luckily it worked out. So <laughs> That's funny. And I know when you first started going uh, with Jeff to Nashville, there was the Warner Nashville connection, right? And you would always drive past there and tell yeah, him yeah. one day I'm going to be with them. Dude, it was so weird, man. I don't know why. You know, I mean, Warner Brothers, obviously a, a, a massive name in, in entertainment, you know, so I, I don't know why. I don't know why it wasn't, you know, Sony or anywhere else. But every time we drive past the Warner Music Nashville building, I would tell him, I'm like, I'm going I'm to be signed there. I'm telling you, that's the place. And, you know, he'd be like, yeah, you are. You know, we just kind of, you know, dream, you know, like, yeah, I, you know, that'd be cool. And then. I ended up signing a record deal with Warner Music Nashville, you know, and, and so it's been, it was a weird, I, I do believe in manifestation. I do believe in, in putting your thoughts out and, and I didn't know, I didn't know what manifestation meant back then, you know, so right. I guess I'm doing that, but unknowingly, I didn't know that was a word, you know, then, but yeah, we drive past, you know, cause it was like a little ritual we would do. We drive down 16th or 15th, 16th and 17th, the music row. And then we drive down Broadway and then we'd go to our right or we'd go to, the studio and record, you know, our demo. Right. And it was just kind of a thing for us to do that kind of got our head in the right, in the right spot, but also like, kind of was like inspiring, man. You know, you, you drive through Broadway and you hear the bands playing, you hear, <laughs> you know, you go down uh, music row and you see, you know, at the time now they're sadly destroying a lot of those buildings, but at the time, a lot of those buildings were still up, you know? So you had the history of, of where, you know, this song was written or there's Waylon's old officer, you know? And, and so just kind of, just gave you the vibe of Music City, you know, before you moved <laughs> or before you got going. So it was fun. And how long after you started making those trips with Jeff, did you record your debut, not on Warner, but just your uh, independent debut? Um, it was probably, it was a few years. We were, you know, I was recording up here, going back down. We would go, we would shop songs around um, and then uh, try to get a pub deal. You know, he was trying to get a pub deal at the time and, and uh, we were just shopping them around, doing our, doing what we needed to do. Uh, so I would take those demos, and that's what I would use to sell, you know, down down home at shows. And then I would right. take them and, and record more songs or whatever. So um, I want to say it had to been, yeah, it's probably probably a few years before I, I started recording and, and released an, an independent record. Yeah. And with that independent record, I find it funny all the time that when people sign a major label uh, to a major label and they release albums, the independent albums they had almost disappear. It's almost like they didn't happen. Yeah. You're one of the very few people that's ever brought it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and why is that? Like, I know some people are ashamed of what they've done in the past and they're like, yeah, yeah that's fine. That can stay there. But, you know, if you're proud of it, why does it have to kind of be pushed to the side? I, man, I don't know why that happens. That's funny. It, it does happen. Yeah, I don't know why that happens. But, you know, I think it's probably a little embarrassment because, you know, a little bit of like, you know, you're trying to figure things out. You know, some people knock it out of the park on the first try, but the majority don't. I will, <laughs> not. Um, but uh, I think, yeah, I think there might be, I don't know. I also think that all, all of a sudden when you get a record deal, all those songwriters that you looked up to and you listen to their music, go write with them. They're sending you those songs. Right. So now all of a sudden, instead of this tiny bubble that you had, now everybody that you looked up to and more is sending you songs. So there's right. different, there's different melodies you've never heard. There's, and you know, they're the best of the best. 
So there's different melodies. There's there's all these different things that all of a sudden you, it's like you walk through this door. They're like, welcome, you know, and then you walk <laughs> through it. Here's all of this that you get, you know. And so I think I think maybe a lot of that is is once you get that record deal, you get those options and you get to meet and write and and have those songs pitched to you. Right. And then you you go well, man. All right. Well, what if we went this route? Oh, I love that. Or let's write with this guy. So then they and. It is such a cool energy, man. When you get your when you sign your deal, there's no other energy like it. You know what I mean? Like you did it. You you get your chance at bat. You know you 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 get a chance to go up and, and swing the swing the bat at the ball, and there's just something really cool. So I think it's probably you know just the fact that you get all of these options. You know, and <laughs> and and, uh, and and the labels looking at it like, well, you've already had this out. You know what I mean? And right, now yeah. with, with streaming and everything, you having an album out doesn't just mean a physical copy, you know, like you've had it out. So maybe people heard it, maybe they didn't. Um, and then, but I, you know, I know people that have, that have kept a couple songs off of a debut record and, you know, turned them into hits, but, but I think it's just the fact that you get all this, all these options, you know, and, and, you know, I remember my publisher, BJ Hill calling me going, Hey man, um, send me a list of writers you want to write with. And I shot for the fence. I was like, <laughs> Jeffrey Steele, you know, Casey Beathard, Bob DePiro, you know, all the, I was like, I, that's who I want to write with. That's who I, I, remember opening up cds and seeing underneath the name of the song these little names and my dad's the one that told me i was like who's jay Steele?" And he's like well they're songwriters that moved to nashville that write songs you know and then they, they pitch them they don't tour they're not going out on the road right and so i so i shot for the fence when he first you know first asked me and, and and he made it happen you know so it's cool to be buddies with those guys now but i think it's all i think it's all because you just get that option to to hear all these new songs and new music Right. And you talk about the writing side. Now on that independent, you had quite a bit of writing credits on it. But since then, from what I saw, there's only the one writing credit that you've had on your two previous albums. And that was run away with you that you did with John Rich. Now, is mm -hmm. that right? Am I right? In... Uh, yeah, I've had other cuts. I've had as a writer, I've had cuts on other artists. Um, oh, okay. This EP coming out, I got I'm, I, I wrote two of the five that are on the EP coming out. Um, you know, my, my biggest thing in writing and, and during those times too, man, you know, music was changing. Uh, it was kind of going more of a pop country feel. Right. And, um, you know, I'll be real with you. I just didn't do that. You know, I didn't, I, I did, grew up on different stuff. Um, but also I'm a firm believer in making the best album you can, you know, and nobody brings up to George Strait that he didn't write 61 number ones. You know what I mean? Like, so, and Aldine, you know what I mean? Like you, Chesney, you know, Chesney's a great writer. I, a lot of what I model my stuff after is, is, is after Chesney. You know, like he's an incredible writer, but he cuts outside songs because they fit that record. Right. And they make the best album, you know? And so for me, I was just kind of learning the writing game too at the time as far as like, commercial success and you know what makes a hit on radio and as you're as i'm learning this i'm getting sent all these songs you know from, <laughs> from, from writers and so i uh i just I, I i again you know go back to chesney going you you make the best record and album you can for right. your fans for yourself and and whether if you write it cool if not you know cool and yeah um, I think too, at the time, I didn't really know what I wanted to write about or sing about as far as like an artist of, of my own. 
And so I, I, I cut a lot of outside songs and now, you know, I'm writing more because I feel like I just know myself better. I feel like I know what I want to say better and I know confidently what I want to do and put out. So um, during those times, especially that Amos record, you know, you know I didn't write anything. On that record. And, yeah. um, you know, we were on tour. We were, we were doing 130, something, 140 dates a year. There was also, you know, in the studio here and trying to write, I just didn't, I don't, my brain doesn't do well with all you know, 9,000 things <laughs> going on at once. So, uh, so I, and I was switching management at the time, you know, I hired on new managers and it was just a, it was just a different, di different time, but I'm excited to, to be writing and, and seeing songs that I'm writing uh, connect with people like picture has, you know? Yeah. And before we talk about picture and the new stuff, um, let's just talk about, when your debut hit and I know you talk about that special moment when you sign with Nashville and mm -hmm. just what that means and the doors it opens and then you release your first single kiss you in the morning and when that had the success it had what did that mean for you at that point in showing you the journey that you were about to take dude it was wild man like it was it was like I remember my first January 6th was my first day of radio tour and I just remember being like, we're doing it. Like, we get our shot. We're doing it. And then to see the ad, you know, radio PDs, program directors, and, and other people excited about the song, I just remember so much of it kind of feeling like I was an out-of-body experience. You know, like I was right. like, holy cow, man, we're doing this. This is this is really happening. You know, and then to see it with the ads, and then we got on the verge with iHeart, and, and it just continued to to grow before we even released it, you know, and, and, it, and broke a few records at Warner and it, you know, uh, set it, you know, put, put me in a different spot, just launching. And we debuted top 40 and it's like 26 weeks. We're at number one. And I, I just like, you know, in, in that time, you know, we lost, I lost my grandfather, you know, there's a lot of different things going on. And I just remember being on this like real crazy whirlwind of emotions, you know, like, this is, this is wild, man. Like we're actually doing it. Since then, the journey you've been on, like it, it's progressed quickly. And I saw a post on social media when you played Red Rock and you captioned it. Hey, 15 year old Michael, you're opening for uh, Old Dominion at Red Rock. Yeah. You know, we did it. And yeah. so with how quickly this has all gone for you, do you ever get the chance to look back and look at your you know, five-year-old self rocking out your Kermit guitar and realize <laughs> what you've been able to do? Dude, I mean, my grandfather always told me, my dad did too, uh, when you're climbing a ladder, no matter what it is, um, stop once in a while and just taking the view, you know, right. look down how far you come. What we do is so fast paced, you know, every, you know, life's so fast. You're bound, it, no matter what you do, you, you, as you get older, you realize how fast life is. But yeah. You know, when you're, when you're doing, when you're gone all the time, you know, it's a different city every night. You're you know, on a bus, on a plane, in a car, in a van, whatever it is. Dude, the days turn into, our months turn into days. You know what I mean? You're like, holy cow. And so if you don't, and I, you know, I encourage a lot of young artists to do the same thing. If you don't take in the fact that you just released your first album, you just released your first single, you just played Red Rock, you just played Joe's in Chicago, you just played whatever that is, it means something. You know, and there was a point in time when that was your biggest goal. Right. You know, yeah. there's a point in time where your child or your teenage self learning guitar in your bedroom just wanted to play Joe's on Weed in Chicago. Right. <laughs> but you've gone past that and you haven't even looked at it yet. Right. Because you're just constantly looking at the next thing. 
And you got to keep your eye on the goal and look for the next thing. But you got to stop once in a while on that ladder and taking that view or else you you don't get that again. You know, and, and there are some moments where I do look back and went, man, I wish I would have slowed down a second during that time. You know what right. I mean? And like really, really brought that in. But for the most part, I, I feel really good in the fact that I've tried to take in every moment like that and, and, and constantly remind myself that at some point in time, my little mullet wearing, diaper wearing, Kermit the Frog playing self didn't even think the Opry was an option. And now I'm about to play it for the 57th time, you know? And so yeah. those moments I, I do always try to remind myself, you know, take that in, man. This is, this is pretty cool. And as far as 2020 goes, there was a lot of challenges for you. I know you lost some family members, uh, mm-hmm. divorce and everything that happened was difficult, but was it almost a blessing because it sort of did allow you to internalize and to slow down? And it feels like if that wouldn't have happened, your music that's coming out right now would have probably looked very different. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. You know, I think, um, 2020 was a hard year for everybody. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, the world shutting down and everybody still trying to figure that out and, and, the divide that it caused by everybody and the, and the, the confusion, it hit everybody hard, you know, and then everybody also on top of that had their personal things. And I had mine, you know, losing family members, uh, you know, divorce. I think you can't do anything more when you, when you hit bottom, you can't do anything more than to go, okay, we're up for, we're up from here. Right. Where else do I go from here? You know, Yeah. when I went home to central Florida and, I, I did more hunting than I've done in five, six years. I hung with family that I hadn't hung out with in probably five or six years because we've been on the road. You know, you, you pull in, you see the people you can see, and then you bust back out, you know, or you right. bust back out. So um, I actually got to spend time with my cousins, got to actually spend time with, with people. And I, um, man, I, I really believe that this whole album and who I am as a person grew because of those challenging times. And I think that I, I just had no other thing to do than look in a mirror, reflect and go, okay, what are you doing from here? You're going to sit in this shit and we you know, waller in it and whatever, which I probably did for a little bit, but, or are you going to strap your boots and go do something, you know, and, and, and figure out what it is. So I think the combination of everything, even those trying times, I think it was God making a big work in me, you know what I mean? And, and, and making a big move in myself and, and where I'm going. And, and man, I, I, I truly, I, I'm very grateful for the last two albums, but this album, dude, this is what I moved to Nashville to do. This is, you know, this is me confidently writing songs, recording songs and going, Hey dude, you want to know Michael Ray? Here it is. Talk about the emotion in writing picture and that day after your uncle's wake and not canceling that right and going in there and just what that experience was like. Yeah, we wrote it the day of his, his Oh, day of, okay. Yeah, day of, yeah. And and it was, you know, for whatever reason, I didn't cancel that right. We moved every other one. And I remember telling BJ, my publisher, I said, man, let me just go see how my dad's doing what I need to do. And everybody, my family, like I said, they're all tight. So they got everything already situated. And, you know, they were, they were just going through pictures and hanging out and having some drinks and doing what you do during that time, you know, telling memories and, you know, getting emotional here and there, but just laughing, you know, and, and, uh, we were going through these photos and my buddy Ryan goes, man, isn't it weird that no matter what you do one day, you know, we'll all just be pictures that people have, you know, and that, that's it. 
And some that might be the only thing somebody has and they hold on to it. I actually have one of the photos that we use in picture right here. That's oh, the, nice. that's the picture awesome. that's out, of the, out of the guitar. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, and he said that and it was like three in the morning and I was like, <laughs> write it down on a piece of paper, you know? And, uh, and I got there the next day. And what a lot of people don't know is my uncle Herbie, my, uh, my other uncle, I was writing, I was using his house to write it. And so I get there and he has this picture. He has no clue about what happened that night before. And he goes, man, look at this. Here's this photo of me and my buddy. I ain't, you know, we were like 19 or 20 years old at this time. And it's them holding two beers in this field. And I said, oh, no way. And he goes, yeah, my friend just sent it to me. And, and I said, I said, do you still talk to that guy? And he said, man, he said, you know, sadly, a few months after this photo was taken, he, he took his own life. And so that second verse is about my uncle and his buddy, you know, uh, might just look like buddies and some cold beer. But when it's my time to leave, that's all someone have left of me. And so that whole, was like, it was just like this crazy thing, dude. And I went in with Hardy and David. And I was like, man, I got this idea and I really think it'd be cool. But I want to write, you know, I think we write it like, I want to, I want it to be very autobiographical. You know, I want right. to talk about people. And, uh, and they were, they, they grabbed onto it and being, you know, the hit writers they are, you know, it helped me, help me craft it out, man. And it was, it was a cool moment. I, hell, dude, I think we talked for two hours. I think we wrote for 30 minutes. You know, I think, <laughs> I think the song just kind of fell out, man. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And I wish we had more time. And I hope that maybe once the EP is released, maybe we can connect back and uh, talk more about the album, talk more about the songs, talk more about the experience. And uh, yeah, really dive into that new music. Yeah, I would love to, man. Absolutely. I won't be doing any uh, domesticated laundry around the house, <laughs> losing track of time, I promise you. <laughs>